Hello and welcome to Ampersand and Sons. This week, I regret to inform you that because someone pointed out the fact that I actually hate comic books and have never read a Superman comic book, I have decided that I need a brother. And so I have made Julian Finn my brother and forced him, through blackmail and manipulation, to join me in a quest to destroy all podcasts. Julian, you may say hello now. Neil... Hello. First of all, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna call foul right from the beginning, which is gonna be a, a recurring thing in this podcast. I forbid it. I am your master, and I forbid it. One, it's obvious you've never read comic books before. Um, but <laughs> yeah, no, of course not. Yeah, the but, ten long bucks are tinder in the event of an apocalypse. But more importantly, it wasn't blackmail. It was just the same bag of techniques that people use to get what they want in relationships in 2021 (laughs) (laughs) so it's the kryptonian version of how to make friends and dominate the galaxy and and influence people or or men are from mars kryptonians are from krypton (laughs) yeah men are are from (laughs) men are from mars you will kneel before zod (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah Pretty much. All right, all right. <laughs> but that's so, not the part of the show I want to talk about. I mean, I love that beginning. We should talk about the beginning for we three and a half hours. We should. Okay, but before we talk about the beginning for three and a half hours, and we can't talk about the beginning for three and a half hours because at some point I have to make dinner for family and go for a bike ride in sub-Arizona heat temperatures because I decided to push yeah. it off because it was... 105 or 106 degrees here all day again today. Which yeah. Is, you know, like biking yeah. in a sauna. Canada Day. Yeah, Canada, Canada Day. Canada Day weather. Yeah. Um, there's going to be a Smallville cartoon. I heard about that. Uh, well, you know, okay, hang on. So maybe maybe there will be a Smallville cartoon. Because here's the thing. All we have is Tom Welling say some, saying something on, on, on a video, right? So my immediate reaction to that was like, that's exactly something someone trying to gin up support for a project that is kind of in development hell would do that yeah, was my gut reaction tom, he could be announcing but, but it but tom welling doesn't speak out of turn he the man said that he would never wear the costume and god bless him he has never <laughs> worn the costume <laughs> well you know i i i would watch it actually i would do especially what they do with it especially if it's based on the season 11 comics right because you know like like everyone always notes i hate smallville so much <laughs> yeah, yeah. That I that I'll watch a cartoon just so that I can have a bad time, I guess, because I've got nothing better to do with my time than than feel terrible and hate things. But Neil Bailey, <laughs> didn't your cold, dead, sure to be negative every week heart soar a little bit when Tom Welling showed up in Crisis on Infinite Earths again, not wearing the suit, and still got to punch someone in the face? <laughs> you know, I like the punch people in the face part. I don't like. Well, you know. I'll say it was consistent. They're repeating that thesis where it's like, no, no, I'm just never going to be Superman for you. Never, ever going to be Superman for you. Sorry, sorry, I showed up again. Ten years later, I showed up again, but no, you don't get to see me be Superman. You know, it's consistent. You know, it's the kind of consistency that that you only get with um, McDonald's and abuse. Fair. Okay, so... <laughs> I, I've had some time to reflect on this. Ep- oh, actually, sorry. One more thing about the Smallville cartoon. If it is based on season eleven, uh, oh, like, like the, the comics comic books that they did. Yeah, the oh, comic that wouldn't be half did, bad. Which, I wouldn't mind that. Which were which were fair. They're going to have to do some retooling to uh, eliminate one particular character from the mix because 
that particular actor will be not probably able to record her voice work from jail. Um, <laughs> you talk, what, Kristen Kruick, did something happen to my beloved Allison? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Alice, Allison, Allison Mack was being sentenced yesterday. I saw it, yeah, no, that was completely facetious on my part. I saw that she got three yeah, years. Yeah. I, th- I think um, three years is, is, is um, something I, I'm not going to comment on. But um, yeah, but wow, yeah, that's uh, that's certainly a strange thing that happened there. That is not consistent. That is not a consistent part of what Smallville represented. <laughs> that was poor. That was a poorly written conclusion for that character. Like that, I didn't... that was that was. <laughs> you know what that was? You know, you know how I complain about twists that are tricks on the audience right. like where they don't actually give you any reason to believe that that is the thing that's going to happen right. and then you do it and they go aha that was a clever twist wasn't it yeah. that's what this was yeah <laughs> they shouldn't have said no flights no tights they should have said no scars no bars uh, oh 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 you like that, that? i came up with that right. in 10 seconds and i'll probably get some hate mail oh well probably okay so We've had we've had a little while to ruminate on this episode, yeah, and uh, and, and that was because of some personal challenges that were going on over here. Correct. So I'm going to apologize to uh, to those who tune in to find out whether we're going to be angry or not each week. Well, I'm going to apologize um, for you because it was a very good reason, and people don't need to know, and they can just deal with it. You deserved that fair. time. But I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tread. I appreciate that. I'm gonna tread on your, uh, on your good feelings to suggest Neil Bailey um, that on this episode you may have been wronger than you've ever been wrong that, about anything in any review ever. That is a high bar. That is a completely high this, bar. This for me, I'm gonna start this off by saying for me this was a solid three and a half and maybe a four. <laughs> I think that. You are uh, a little underrating it for the first thirty-five minutes. Yes, it's the thir- and I'm only dragging. I'm only dragging it down to a three and a half or a four, not because the ending was as bad as as you felt it was, because I actually didn't mind it as much, but because it was clearly the the back bit of the episode was clearly written by someone who didn't care as much as the team that wrote the first 30, 35 minutes of the episode. I I have a theory. I just watched the latter half again. I didn't watch the first half because it was seared into my memory, and so it shall remain. But the boy was watching it um, for the podcast, and um, I think I'm I'm 90% positive without any inside information that what happened was they had a whole bunch of really great stuff left over for that dynamite pilot, and they didn't have enough space for it, so they're like, we got to put this somewhere. This is great stuff, and they put it in the episode because they're like, it fits here perfectly. We can just do it right before he reveals his his nefarious plot, and it'll slot right in. And it would if, like, everything followed with the plot, but, um... See, you know, the, see the I, have a thing, I, I have a thing to say to that theory... And, and what I have to say to that theory is, that, that's, <laughs> that's pretty good. To... <laughs> that's pretty good. I like that. Uh, yeah, you know, um, everyone in the Superman uh, movies and 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 shows ends up, you know, like there's some element of where they end up in jail somehow or in some kind yeah, of uh, yeah. some kind of some kind of real big trouble. But anyway. But so I don't think it was left over for a pilot because I don't think they ever. Int- so. You're going to do 
a Superman and Lois TV show that is predicated on the idea that everybody already knows who Superman is. Yeah. You don't want to do an origin story. You just don't. You got to sneak a couple of shots here and there in, but you don't want to do an origin story. But when the the version is this much of an amalgamation of different takes we've seen in the past and you don't really know where they're drawing from, yeah, you kind of do want to do an origin story at some point. And the perfect way to do that is on purpose in an episode like this where the villain is combing through Superman's memories. Yeah. Well, like, I don't think this was a case of we wrote the episode to use the footage we had. I think this was a case of we wrote this episode to justify doing an origin story episode in a show where he's already been operating for 20 years. I don't know if the... See, I, I we've seen Spider-Man's origin and Superman's origin... And Batman's origin a thousand times. We don't need to see the um, the pearls fly again from Martha Wayne's chest. Um, but I also <laughs> think that in a TV show, there's a lot of room to expand. And so it's perfectly fine to do an origin story. But whether that should be the first episode, I think they've made a wide choice making it later. Uh, I don't mind seeing little elements like of how did this Clark meet Lois and what's, exp- you know, what's going on around that. Um I didn't, you know, I really liked seeing the running across the ice that was beautiful and meeting Jor-El and all of those things. It kind of gives a flavor for these these mythos, and they didn't really do, like, the I have to put my stamp on this. They just went with a good classic rendition with almost everything, except for I'm presuming that was Bloodsport. I still don't know if that was actually <laughs> Bloodsport, because it didn't, you know, it was like the second Bloodsport, not the first Bloodsport. Um, you know the blood sports, right? I should probably tell the audiences. Yes. All right, I'm delving a little into spoilers, um, but this is not necessarily because it doesn't talk about the way it's executed here. In the comics, there were two blood sports, and it was one of my first Superman comics. Actually, was this big, big like like this this gnarly looking Vietnam vet looking dude with a with a red bandana on his head. He's a black dude, and he's like blood sport. He plays for keeps. He's like blah 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 blah, and it's this guy who goes <laughs> homicidal if I remember right, because he was a Vietnam War vet and didn't know how to handle the trauma, right? That was the first one. And then, like, oh, I don't know, seven years later, they flip it on its head and do, like, um, the the blood sport that is, like, this white supremacist who is the Nazi um, per what we kind of see. Um, but he's wearing a white bandana and the crosses, as I recall, and all the clan paraphernalia. And he was just, you know, he was the, the original did took her jobs guy, um, <laughs> you know, like the opposite. And I think if I remember correctly, there was this wonderful moment later where the original blood sport comes and whoops his, his buttocks, like, like the original blood sport. I think if I remember, it's been so long, but I think the original blood sport was like, Nope, Nope. This character had a good origin. <laughs> You're not taking that. <laughs> and I know people probably harp on blood sport, uh, as, as a cliche, but I mean, as a kid, it was one of my first exposures to, Oh, this is actually what happened to Vietnam vets. Because, you know, as a kid, I, I had a very rah, rah, sis, boom, bah kind of, uh, pro military dad that, um, that, you know, like, hated the Rambo movies because the first one was critical of what soldiers go through. Even though the second two were the most jingoistic things in the world, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. So, 
But anyway, uh, oh, where where Rambo single handedly liberates Afghanistan? Yeah, right. You know, like like it, the fever dream of that, like like the, the fever nightmare, I suppose, of what happened after the real John Rambo blows his brains out in the end of the first movie, uh, and in the book. Yeah, like the book is just yeah. that's Morel does great work in Rambo. If nobody's ever read that, yeah, Morel is kind of like like because of the Rambo two and Rambo three and whatnot gets a bum rap, but he's 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 got a good book about writing and he's got he, he's a solid thriller writer how did i okay, get so there but anyway i don't know do you want you out there from bloodsport do you want to summarize the episode for us before we dive into sure. spoilers sure because this one's actually fairly easy we get an extended yeah. look at superman's past and then morgan edge delivers an ultimatum that will surely shape superman's future <laughs> oh, oh! That was that was nigh artistic. It was so well done. Well, it was it was the Netflix version. I've been working on pitching for television, and and there's like there's vult- multiple facets of it, and one of them is um, writing Netflix summaries, Netflix style summaries, as a way of making things as concise as they possibly can, and pitching and yeah. summarizing. I hate it all because I play by ear. I don't even know act structure incredibly well. But I mean, I know when a story is right, and I know what's working, and I know what isn't. So that's the, the that's why I struggle so much with summaries, is because I want to talk about what it's about, not what the story is. Uh, and I always have right. that's that's my critical blind spot. All right, all right. So I would argue that in your summary, you missed the most important element, which is that really this is an episode about the undue influence influence fathers can place on their sons. And what that does in their long-term living, how how mistakes become hereditary and destiny. It has become that. It is. Are we going spoilers now? Let's go spoilers. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's becoming that. But the thing is, it was just so like the character was introduced this episode. The 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 father for Morgan Edge's character, and I've forgotten the Kryptonian names. And if people want to take me to task for that, they can bite me. But uh, Lucius Malfoy, um, <laughs> Roe, <laughs> Lucius Malfoy, Zod, um, <laughs> just just appears, and it's like all of a sudden, oh, now his destiny is to convert everybody. Okay, all right. Um, you know, like the motivations shift on such a dime here. And and yes, there is a story to be told, and there are great through lines in the Superman mythos for like what the fathers and the parents that are absent or that are present through technology or avatars do to their children. It's just they didn't put you. You can't put that work in in fifteen minutes. You just can't do it. I mean, if they were Fair. to do it over the next couple episodes, I'd be with you. Sure, let's explore that. But it's like they were like, oh, yeah, he's got a bad dad. So clearly everything he's doing makes sense. You know, it's 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 not that pat. It can't be that pat. It's, well, it's not that pat, but it, it allows you to see why they're making the choices that they're making, especially in the... Um, the end game of the episode, which we'll get to, because you and I have very different takes on that. I mean, your your review is very critical and hurtful, Neil. And, <laughs> and I feel like it's because I, feel like I you're just not taking my goal is to take the enjoyment that everyone is having with the episode and just take it away entirely. As I've said over and over and over again, now someone is going to quote that and not take it as sarcastic. <laughs> 
and put it somewhere and, and take me to task and be like, you actually said that, Neil. Uh, in the same way that they're like, you know, like, I don't know, some crazy people are like, you know, Superman killed Zod in Superman 2. <laughs> you know, like, just these yep. crazy fan yep. theories. <laughs> so so what, what I am going to say yeah. is that the first 30 minutes of this episode was quite possibly the best live-action Superman origin we've gotten. Full stop for me. Um, in in the sense of um, in the sense of in the sense of in the sense of satisfaction, in the sense of I got to see things that were both familiar and new. Like I really dug that they um, hung on to the Richard Donner Superman gets trained in the Fortress of Solitude for um many years yeah. an unspecified amount of time though i'm guessing about 18 years it looked like um or at least 15 um they really 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 nailed for me the beats of his early days at the daily planet and how the relationship between him and lois would shape out although Grievously and weirdly, given how Jimmy Olsen is introduced on the Supergirl show, it did strike me as a little weird that we never got any Jimmy beats in there. Um, <laughs> well, I th I'm beginning to think um, more and more that this is a different universe and that it that necessarily. Except we're supposed to see John Diggle in next week's episode. I'm betting that that's going to have something to do with explaining that. I, you know, I have a feeling that this is where they're going to start introducing the other worlds and explaining why it's different. I think that they they kind of have opened up that can of worms and they have to, and they may do it badly. That seems to be this show's way of resolving things, like being like, ah, yes, well, hey, here we are in the world. You know, they won't say it directly, but they'll indicate this is the world before yeah. the crisis or this is the world just after the crisis. And I'm Diggle, so I remember. Um, I mean, I don't know if you would remember yeah. from the yeah. plot or not, but, but they're going to do something, <laughs> I think, to pay some lip service if he's there. or Or they might also go... Look, here's someone named Diggle that we know that has none of the attributes of the other Diggle that we know. Um, no, but he's, he's making in... a he's making a tour of all the uh, Arrowverse shows right now, and it's definitely his character. It's Fallout from him deciding that he's not going to be a Green Lantern. Um, <laughs> well, you know, and, however they want to do and, it, I'm curious because this is yeah. like they at very least now are going to touch upon the rest of the. DC universe and well apparently um the solar flare was used in Supergirl too I learned we may have discussed this and I had forgotten in the ensuing two weeks but apparently yeah it, it was and they definitely confirmed in this episode that it because he called it a solar flare yeah. uh, even though that's that's not what that was but no so so I I loved all of the Daily Planet stuff um, I didn't think you could have a better meet cute for Lois and Clark in live action than we got in Smallville, like Erica Durance's Lois and her first intersections with Clark were pretty fantastic. Um, but the context of this and the context of her uh, relationship unfolding both with Superman and with Clark was the best I've ever seen. I loved how they handled the truth, justice, and American way issue at the core of the early stories. Like, just overall, it was intensely satisfying. They managed to put their own 
spin on certain elements while keeping it very familiar feeling. Yeah, you won't get any argument from me on that. The only thing that I'm mulling in my head is if it's the best ever. Because I would say that in terms of the writing and in terms of the competency, it's probably the best execution. But the problem is, like, you don't get this execution without... Well, it's like saying Citizen Kane is better than other things, and I've had that debate before. Because I don't think... Yeah. I, I don't actually enjoy Citizen Kane that much, but I see it as foundational for everything else that follows from it. And so I understand that certain things cannot exist without Citizen Kane, and so I have a profound amount of respect for it. And I've seen people, you know, like, people get really snooty about that. Oh, he does not like Citizen Kane. I'm like, it's a boring, slow movie. For by today's standards, and I live yeah. in today, uh, in, in the same way that I can read, you know, Fitzgerald and be like, see the obvious brilliance and be like, man, it's a really a slog for me to get through Gatsby. Um, see, going going more nerdy, that's how I feel about Tolkien. Yeah, like I I've read the Lord of the Rings a few times. I can appreciate the craft in the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I get why people love the Lord of the Rings, but I more appreciate it for what it did to that genre. And if it wasn't on my bookshelf, I wouldn't miss it. Yeah, I'm reading it right now, presently, actually. And there are things about it that are still a slog. There's one thing I do note, though, is that there are a lot of things that he does with language that I did not have the appreciate proper proper um, mindset to appreciate when I was in my uh, early uh, early to late teens when I read it. I can't remember, honestly. I know it was in... Yeah. Well, I read it in middle school, and then I read the rest of it, and I stopped, and I read the rest of it in college, so that's what it is. But um, the uh, the thing is, it's like Shakespeare. You put Shakespeare in front of a 14-year-old, and it's pearls before swine, not because 14-year-olds aren't <laughs> brilliant. That's when we generally are at our most foundational and creative, I find. But also, you need to be seasoned to see what they're doing, and you need to have at least with me, once I had spent a lot more time writing and thinking about words, I got a lot more from it. And so while I see some elements of Tolkien that are just clunky, um, I have a newer respect for the world building, and there are some elements that he puts so quietly and so artfully that it's very easy to miss and treat as an empty platitude when they're actually quite deep. Like some of the things especially talks about the way societies crumble in the wake of fascism. Um, and he's very, yeah. it's not even thinly veiled, but, but to the point, drawing it to the point, um, I, yeah. I will come back. I'm rambling a lot this time, but, or this podcast, but he, he, um, in, in Superman and Lois, this benefits profoundly from Superman, the movie and knowing, you know, what can be done fast and what should be dwelled on. And they all follow, this follows a whole series of things that have shown like, like, cause you can watch eight different renditions of these scenes and go, this is what's effective. This is what isn't. And do them. You can get to the point of where you're the Morrison, uh, you do the Morrison kindly couple, uh, dis, uh, doomed planet where you can just say six words and everything is understood. So then the question becomes, like the the thing that I'm mulling on here is uh, like if I watch that opening again where they do it in five minutes or if I watch the 35 minutes version, which am I going to think is the better piece of art? And I think that it's hard to say because I've developed into a person as I, I, I have an, an admiration for brevity and an admiration for doing the thing, you know, you know my one of my favorite sayings, a... a um, 
An intellectual is someone who says a simple thing in a complex way, and an artist is someone who says a complicated thing in a simple way, which I stole from Bukowski. But I mean, I think that that applies here. But this is one of those rare examples where you can't choose between the two um, because they're both very artfully done. And it's, and, and there's, a, there's an argument for luxury here, which is why, which is why, drawing it to, the, to, to I suppose, the next point, why the heck didn't they just do this for 45 minutes and then make the next episode start with the ultimatum? Like, why did they have to sully this? Ah. Okay, so... <laughs> so... I have a theory about that, and and I want you to ask that again when we come to questions, because I don't have a lot of questions right, for right, this right. episode, though I do, ha I do have a couple. Um, but I think that doing it this way... I love the justification for it. I think more than anything else, because in a show where the the plot mechanism behind us getting to see all this stuff was not an outside viewer pouring through Superman's memories trying to find a weakness, that even 30 minutes of this, or even 15 minutes of this, would have felt indulgent and navel-gazing. But given the context in which we get this extended flashback, it it doesn't feel that way. It feels absolutely earned and deserved and the kind of thing that an enemy would want to know about you if they wanted to effectively defeat you and they couldn't do it on purely physical grounds, right? Like, it, it serves... It, it, it becomes, even though it's the longer, bigger part of the episode, it becomes the B plot that serves the A plot. I, I had kind of the entirely opposite hot take on it. Um, not a hot take, actually. I know you I, did. I thought about it for a long, long time. It's not a hot take. Um, <clears throat> but I look at this whole thing, and, and, and I don't think that... It's not that I don't think that the villain would do that. Like, the villain would jump into Superman's head and be like, Aha, how can I find out who his kids are and where he lives and what his apartment number is so that I can fart in his laundry? But <laughs> it's, it's that um, you don't look... There is no human being, no matter how evil they are, that looks at that and isn't moved and doesn't see the potential of humanity and doesn't see... You know, like, that Superman has something to live for that you would also want. And there's no lip service paid to that at all. And, and, and I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to be like, Edge is so evil. But the other problem is that they've, de no, they've defined... No, well, no, no, But they've defined that he wants a family. So here you are, you take this villain who's... One of, one of his sole character motivations is that he wants a brother. He wants a family. And then they're like, look... This guy had it, and they could have made hay from that. They could have been like, you had the family that I could have had, and I resent you for it. Or they could have no, even gone... Neil, uh, no, no, no. All right, hit me with it. I'm, hit, I'm hitting you with that again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so the reason they don't do that is laid out in the dynamic between the to Kryptonian fathers, right? So the reason that Clark is vulnerable is because Jor-El tells him that 
in order for him to be an effective protector for humanity, he has to have something that ties him to humanity. <clears throat> He's basically telling Clark he needs to feel for people in a way that is fundamentally going to be a weakness to him in order to always have the strength to defend them. Right? Like that's that's the paradox at the core of what Jorel is teaching him sure. in his quest to make him a superman. And we see the exact inverse with um not dash okay, whatever the heck uh, <laughs> You can uh, use Lucius and Draco <laughs> L, that's what I've been doing. Draco L. I will go with Draco L. Um we see the inverse of that with Draco L where he is teaching his son a true thing. In order to subjugate someone, you need to hate them. And so it makes sense to me that Edge's reaction is more one of disgust because the same foundational training that Clark underwent that produced a love of humanity in him as its outcome was on purpose done to produce a hatred of humanity in Edge. Sure. And they showed us the effectiveness of that, and they showed us how that would color each man's motivation in a way that felt extremely organic and earned to me. Yes, it was quick, but it was well done. And so I wasn't left with those issues. It did leave me with a question, which we'll get to at the end. Um... But it didn't leave me with those issues about sort of understanding his reaction to what he was seeing because he sees it as akin to Clark deciding to date and marry a slug. Well, yes, but let me let me here's my theory of evil. I don't think that I think the scariest thing about evil is that it is not always the arbitrary nefarious choice that it is often made out to be for the necessity of plot like you take an example of you know evils of ignorance and evils of choice like you get a situation like um like say an example is uh, breaking bad it, it, walter white slowly succumbs to evil because he sees there is a palpable benefit to him it is clear that it assuages his ego and he chooses his ego over the people around him. But it's so organically natural for that person to make that decision that in a scary way we see ourselves in him. And then in Better Call Saul, um, there are acts that are not necessarily evil, as an example, because they seem to spring from a point of altruism or they uh, from white lies or the intentions are good, but to the, anyone outside looking at them, regarding them in a vacuum, which is the way that most people who review that show tend to do, it looks like evil when it's really just showing what the corruption, what what the corrupting influence of capitalism in America kind of do to someone over time, especially good people, right? So those are examples of really, really good examples of, of, of strongly defined evil motivation. And the reason that this one fails and is so lackadaisical to me is that the entire justification is Lucius L. told you that people suck, and so that's what you went with because you had one bad experience. No, but it's... 
No, okay, so so we get Bloodsport, right? And Bloodsport is the quintessential mm-hmm. my life is bad and I have been taught that the reason my life is bad yeah. is because people that don't look like me um are having an okay time using resources that should be mine. Sure. That is the quintessential Western world uh sort of fallback position when things go wrong is who can I blame for this? But who teaches people that? Well, it's very reductive, though. He is very one note. The blood sport has put in this, in this show is so incredibly. Oh, I'm not, I'm not arguing. Yeah. I'm not arguing that it's subtle. It's not, but it's thematically consistent with what we see with, uh, Lucius L and edge. In that, oh, very much so. We are left. We are left to assume that this person is a product of his environment, and he has drawn these simplistic conclusions because of it. And we can say that it's one note, but that's people, man. Well, like that. So, can, so that this can is, be this people, is ju- but, but a story is defining how people got to where they were and why they make the choices. No, that but ch- change okay, who they are. so. So this is germane right now to what's what's happening in Canada with um, with all of the discoveries of unmarked graves at the residential schools. Yeah. But the the original settlers, the original uh, British colonials that moved here, didn't see themselves as bad guys. They were just taught that being white and European and particularly British made you better than people who were not those things and that they were entitled to displace people who were less than them for their own gain. Sure. It was evil, but they would never recognize it as evil. It was incredibly one note and it was an incredibly... Obviously, because of upbringing. So that that's that's a good example. So this this can illustrate what I'm trying to say. So now imagine those people who had been raised into such racism and such hate, uh, who who murdered with abandon, thinking that people were subhuman that were probably more human than they were because of because they survived these awful travails. You know, um. Say they then were given a magical window to a society where someone had beliefs completely counter to their own, and there was a thriving native society living right next to the white society, and they shared the land, and everybody was happy, and all of their beliefs, um, while distinct, gelled, and it was an idyllic society, they wouldn't then double down on killing the natives. You no, but they do. We, I mean, American history literally is defined by a moment in time where that happened. Right, but the, but they the no, they don't aftermath. See the the aftermath. The aftermath of the Civil War was that. Right, but it that's was because, one half of the country attempting sure. to build that civilization. But they never and really the other believed half of the it. country doing. It. That's the thing. They never really believed right, but, in it because they never saw it. You know, they never, they never right. had, had a concrete example. And that's the problem. It's the reason why I can't say that there should be, like, like that's why it's a perfectly natural um, character arc for Han Solo, even though I'm a, you know, a devout atheist. At the end of, of, of for- The Force Awakens, I'm not upset that Han Solo utters the words, it's true, The Force, 
you know, all of it, you know, because the thing is, he lives in a world where there are literal physical manifestations of that religion and actual documentable proof that he sees of someone touching something that's supernatural and making it and and it's saving the universe, right? So of course Han Solo, right. who's like I've never seen all any all powerful force. I've just got this blaster at my side, is going to get a little spiritual by the by by forty years later, right? It, it people react to stimulus. That is one of the, the 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 defining things that 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 makes a character ring true or not, and it's one of the reasons network te- television is so easily maligned is because. People are not sitcoms, you know? Like, you don't have this situation where people witness a thing and don't change. And and, and there's no way anyone can see Superman's life and not be inspired. No, but in this this case, you're you're underestimating the impact. So, So how long do we think that each of these kids was locked in a cave with their uh, digital bio daddies? I don't know. But I do know how long I was locked in my cave with my digital bio daddy. Um, <laughs> and I can say that, you know, like, I get what you're saying. Because I grew up around a whole slew of people. Like, most of the people I know who, who, who are grown up have, have been, you know, like, they, they haven't had success by the, as the way they might define it. There's a lot of drug use. Some people are dead. Some people are in jail. Some people have been in and out of jail, right? I can see how being stuck next to a crappy influence makes you think, well, this is just my destiny, right? But that's also forgetting a few things about Morgan Age, that he is determined, that he is reactive, that he is supposedly smart, you know? Um, And that's one of the reasons why I'm like, his character motivation is so inconsistent. He is not a person who would not react to things as they happen he's not reductive he's not blood sport he's not gonna go they took my job so i gotta put on a mask and set you know people on fire he's not that he's been like he's he's someone who learns and shows nuance but they they do the work in this episode to explain why and i think that whether you like the explanation or not you have to accept that it's plausible, and I don't think that you did that in your review. No, I still, I, I actually that, don't think it's plausible. I, I still don't think it's the, plausible. The, the the explanation that they give us is that Clark is raised by Jor or is trained by Jor El, mm-hmm. and Edge sees Jor El as the death of the life that he should have had. Right. So he's already got a completely tainted view of Jor-El in the way that any kid who has gone through divorce because one of their parents left the other for another person has a tainted view of that person and any offspring that they might have. Right. Okay, so there's already that factor. Then he gets trained by his digital bio dad that... That hatred of Jor-El and all of Jor-El's philosophies and everything that Jor-El is about is reinforced by his father's hatred of Jor-El and all the things that flow from that. And the natural inclination that their power makes them superior and that the natives of this planet don't deserve to have it. And so to see... To, to witness through Clark's eyes 
him basically subjugating himself for the good of the native population would be anathema to him. Like you, you might are, you might be able to argue, and I don't think you're necessarily wrong that a, all things being equal, a person that was capable of rational thought on that particular topic, because they hadn't been deeply poisoned on that particular topic might take pause at that moment and go, maybe my foundational assumptions are wrong. But in this particular context, it makes total sense that he would see that and go, no, you're weak. I know how to manipulate that. This is dumb. You're wrong. Your father was wrong. This is just proof of that. Well, okay, so if if I concede that point, and for the sake of argument, I will. I'll concede the point that he thinks humanity is irredeemable. He would not be moved by Superman's story. His bio dad has corrupted him too much. Then it's completely irrational that he wants anything to do with Superman as a brother. No, because he wants to win the argument. Right, but that's not how you the win thing the is, argument. The thing, the, <laughs> no, no, but the thing is, is if... If, let's say you and I were biological brothers, okay, and we are ideo- ideologically opposed to each other, but in every other way, we're equals, right? We're just as strong as each other. We are just as entitled via Morgan Edge's philosophy to mastery and ownership of this world. Um, all other things are are even Steven in the analysis of who we are. But you like we a are blue just pen. Completely... Right, you like a blue pen, I like a black pen. Right. The only thing you can win is the fight of which pen is better. Right. Okay, so this is this, this so let's let's draw the analogy out. <laughs> I have spent my entire life writing with black pens and my father told me that black pens are great. Your father told you that blue pens were great and you write with blue pens, right? And um, so then um, I'm writing something with a black pen and it starts leaking ink all over the page and it ruins the essay that I'm working on. And then it snaps in half and causes all of the the, the writing that I had written below that to kind of uh, get, get inked up. And so I lose half of the novel. Right. And then I go to you and I'm like, it's your fault because you have blue pens and blue pens have corrupted the black pens. Right. And then you're sitting there, and I look at, like, you got this beautiful, like, you've written The Great Gatsby, right? I look at your Great Gatsby, and I'm, like, reading it, like, oh, look at this pablum. It means nothing. It's terrible. It's only flowery because he's weak, you know? <laughs> right? No, but there are people who read Gatsby and are unmoved by right? it and it, would rather read well, Rocky, too. Here's, well, here's the problem. Right. So, so like... <laughs> then I'm like, you must write Rocky 2 because Rocky 2 is better and Rocky 2 would be written better with a black pen. And I, I threatened to kill your family so you will write Rocky 2 with a black pen, right? Um, My mind well, can't deny that, no, that the, the Great Gatsby. <laughs> no, but the, the point is, is that the only thing, that the only victory you can have doesn't come from killing me. It doesn't come from taking away all my blue pens. Right. The only victory you can have in that particular everything else is equal zero-sum game 
is to convince me that black pens are better. Well, sure. Okay, so this is this is no, but that's but that's 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 why it's important to him. Well, that's that's, that's the only victory that he can have. I agree. That's the plot that's been defined. But what I'm kind of pointing it out, what kind of what I'm kind of pointing out with the metaphorical example is a reductio ad absurdum. Like you look at this, and even if you're like, yes, that's an explanation you can make for it, you're still taking what's supposed to be a a a megalomaniacal genius and reducing him to like, you will use my pen, or I will kill you and your family, and that's how I make friends. <laughs> you know, like like, and and we can flower it up. We can be like, it's 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 Lucius Malfoy L that's influencing him, and he's got this egg, and it's an elaborate plot. And I see people making a lot of excuses for this, but really, what it comes down to is it's really just kind of a thin, stretched plot. And maybe, may, okay, here you go. I'll give you your concession, Julian. It's consistent in that it is consistently reductive and kind of dumb. Um, but and, okay. and the, the so whole, here's the here's not, okay. Hang on, one more one more quick point. Here, it's not art. Here's the explanation. The right. It's not. But okay. it can be if it can be explained in 15 minutes. It, it is not irreducibly complex. It is. It is. <laughs> it is in fact non-existent. No, but the thing is, is they, they, in that 15 minutes, they managed to make the argument in a way that I watched that and went, oh, that's what they're trying to say. Sure, yeah. And, and it's not art, right? Like, it's, it's a little bit clumsy, it's a little bit ham-fisted, but it doesn't descend into bad or unbelievable. I, like, I had a... And again, I'm going back to this well just because it's relevant and topical, and I don't want to down anybody's buzz over over Superman and Lois. Um, but I had this, we'll call it a polite but tense engagement with an individual online about <laughs> a a Catholic church being set on fire. Oh, damn it. Now and, you made uh, me laugh before that. You should have said, no, don't laugh. Now I look like a... Yeah, yeah. All right, well, anyway. Uh, in, in, oh, in, Mor in Morinville, Alberta. Yeah, in Morinville, Alberta, which is a small town, um, which is a small town in Alberta, and it is very, very much a case of arson. It wasn't an accidental fire, and it looks very much like it's um, thematically tied to a whole bunch of other Catholic church burnings that are our response in Canada right now to what we're learning about the residential schools and the abuses that um, took place there. And somebody came into the thread and they said, you know, this is going to end badly. Um, and they're right. And somebody else jumped in and was like, I wish more people could see this because what's ultimately going to happen is acts like this are going to erode public support. And somebody jumped into the conversation making an argument very much in line with yours, which is an argument assuming that people behave logically and consistently. Um, and said something along the lines of, well, if their support can be eroded by something like this, then they never supported those people in the first place. Well, that's okay. And so that's a no true that's, Scotsman that's not, Yes. And, and more importantly, it doesn't take into consideration that people don't react logically and well, from sure. deep but that's, consistent principles that's not my thesis we though. react my, my, i know it's not i know it's not i'm, I'm getting to a okay, point okay. i'm getting to a point sure and and the point is 
the the comment that I made to that person was people can be both moved by the plight of a group of people that have had horrible things happen to them, but then also be so bowled over by the building where they were married slash their parents' funeral was taking place in, where their kid was baptized, etc., 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 that even though they intellectually acknowledge that there's probably proper motivation for this to have happened and what happened to those people was fundamentally awful, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they supported them yesterday and desperately wanted some sort of justice. Tomorrow they can hate them over that one simple act. And that is not inconsistent in how humans are. Sure. And I think, and I've caught you doing this a few times as we've gone through this, there's a lot of times where you're right, where the plot is just dumb and last week's episode was like a high watermark of that in a lot of ways but there's a there's a thing that you call out consistently as a sin which i don't really think is which is people acting like people rather than the way that we have been led to believe that they will act given their character traits and I think that's actually coming from an attempt to write more realistic people because actual human beings don't behave consistently based on the character traits that you know about them. They act according to the context in which a stimulus hits them. Sure. Full stop. That, right? That can and be I true. Think, but here's 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 the problem. So and and this would be I would look at the way that Skylar White responds to things far differently than I would Lois Lane. Because the name Lois Lane and the name Clark Kent and the name even Morgan Edge have broader implications that are that are that go back 80 years. And right. so to your point of what you're saying, my thesis was not that that people cannot possibly act outside of a way that they're that they're um, that they're accustomed to doing so, or have been depicted in the past as doing so. It's more my, my, my frustration is that when presented with counterfactual um, indications towards a thing that you believe, there will be a reaction to it, whether or not you know Edge might have seen that. And then gone, nope, actually, I really am still for the wiping out of the human race or taking charge or whatever the heck his motivation is this week. <laughs> it's that it's that, that that there was absolutely no reaction to it beyond, aha, now I have your child's name. <laughs> and that is the thing that gets me. It's not, and it's also like, not like Lois Lane going out and drinking with Lana Lang and being like, hey, <laughs> getting, right. getting blotto. It's that, it was so knee-jerk from when she was being responsible, mother, paying attention to everything around them, not being just going nuclear on Clark for random things. And it's not that people don't do that. It's just that there has to be a catalyst, right? So there are catalysts when people take huge behavior swings. And there are also responses when people are confronted with counter evidence to the things that they've been presented. And if you don't do that... I'm not saying that's outside the realm of possibility. I'm saying it's bad storytelling. It's just bad storytelling. And this is this to another point that you made a minute or two ago, and this is an important thing. You said it's not art. And it's, you know, it's genre storytelling. Right. But 
But that's the thing. This show has proven again and again and again that it can be art. So when it yes. is art, like the first 35 minutes of this show, and then it chooses not to be art or fails to be art, if you want to be as charitable as you can possibly be, that's something to point at and go, why not? Why didn't you take the time to get the yeah, last but there's a, minutes? There's an, there's an easy answer there. And the easy answer, and you'll know exactly what my argument is as soon as I say these words, but the easy answer to the difference between the first 35 minutes and the last 10 minutes is Game of Thrones. Right. Yeah. Because there- it is... It is easy to make art when you're doing color by numbers with somebody else's sketchbook. Sure. Yeah. It is much harder to do art when you find yourself in the part of the story that nobody's already pre-written. Well, well, you know, like... No, but like... So maybe... See, I don't want to be snooty and be like, well, maybe for TV writers, but I'm special. Because that's not what I'm saying. But, like, as, as a novelist... Um... I will not release a thing until I know it is of the highest quality. And I know they are on a time budget. And I know that they have expectations. At the same time, if you sign your name to a thing, you're signing your name to a thing. And they left many critical gaping holes. No, but but Weiss and Benioff probably thought they were doing a good job with the last three seasons of Game of Thrones. Well, here's, they weren't. Here's the, here's the thing Because about it turns that. out... It turns out they weren't artists. This might surprise you. This might surprise you. I don't actually have a huge problem with the last three seasons of Game of Thrones. I actually think that it was fairly consistent all the way through. It was dragon porn. And it always was. (laughs) And the problem is that people thought it was high art. They got fooled in the same way people got fooled with Superman and Lois. And then in the end, it was still dragon porn. And they're like, wait a minute. I was expecting this to evolve into something. And no, nah, it was just always the first, dragon. The first, the first four or five seasons were a nuanced retelling of the Wars of the Roses in a world that has dragons and porn. Um, <laughs> but no, but like, <laughs> but it was, it was, it was complicated and not not unnecessarily so. And it was an interesting play on morality. The the people that you think of as conventionally good, the heroic class, get wiped from the board almost entirely in the first two seasons because they can't possibly survive in a world where everyone else is more ruthless than them. Um, it, it does stuff with that genre that we do not typically get to see. And when they ran out of source material, it started to crumble. Well, when they started guessing, it started to crumble. And I think that's what happened here. It's really easy to write. Actually, I'm going to take that back. It's probably not really easy to write a compelling Superman origin story because we've seen bad ones. Um, But it should be easy for writers of a certain caliber to write a compelling Superman origin story because there's so much material to draw it's, from. You just have to make sure you don't muddle it. It's very easy when the writer gets out of the way. It's very easy for any material to so- to shine when the writer gets out of the way. Um, yes. But the other thing is audiences are fickle and they don't see things a lot. Um, like you, 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 The things that you pointed out about Game of Thrones, that it subverted expectations... And gave you thing, you know, like situations where the good guys are utterly annihilated. That's exactly what happens in the end. Daenerys, the quote-unquote good guy, 
is utterly annihilated. The, the, the city of people is destroyed. That's not what happens at the end of a happy fantasy. Um, also, they, they did a double fake with it. They, the, the, the fight at Winterfell, like they were supposed yeah. to lose. They didn't lose. It was a subverted expectation. The problem is people want the subverted expectation that they expect. And that's really weird. And that's part of the thing about Game of Thrones <laughs> that I keep thinking about. It's like they're not fine with Daenerys. Because, you know, they want the, the, the strong woman in power to succeed, and they don't want to subvert that expectation. But, like, they're, like, perfectly fine with Sean Bean getting his head cut off, even though he was the moral heart of the show. Um, and, 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 and it's weird, because it's the same thing with this. It's the exact same thing with this. Like, like um, we forgive a lot because, because um, we're like, well, you know, it's, it's, it's a Superman show. They've ran out of their own material. And there's, there's an argument to be made for that. That makes some sense. But if you think about it, like much of what was present in the first three episodes and the fifth episode is, is very little of the Superman mythos and everything like Smallville 90210. You know, like everything <laughs> there, but just told without the without the soap opera uh, hammered with a big uh, with a big Gallagher mallet, um, and uh, yeah, I think that no, that's fair. I think that this episode is is a good ex like like as like I wrote in the review, it's a good example of everything that has been wrong with the show so far. You get this wonderful opening that pulls you in and has has a lot of character and heart and something to believe in. And then it's like, here have some hammy bad soap opera BS that you can say is you can you can find an argument to make sense for, but doesn't follow. It's not A to B to C. It doesn't the, take the, the time problem the the problem is is that with very few exceptions and the one exception that immediately pops, or the two that immediately pop into mind are from Netflix superhero shows. Um, uh, what's his name? David Tennant's character in season one of Jessica Jones. Uh, Kilgrave? Uh, the Purple Man? Yeah, Kilgrave. Yeah, Kilgrave and um, uh, Kingpin in season one of Daredevil. Yes. With the exception of, like, very rare instances like that super villains are freaking silly yeah often right and if you're trying to draw on the same history of the comic books that gives us these um these fantastic inspirational characters and you you're trying to do something that's faithful with them you're then stuck taking characters that are fundamentally silly. And they're fundamentally silly on purpose because the target audience of comic books in the beginning was kids, right? Like, right. they're not meant to be scary. They're not meant to be a character that you think will actually stand a chance of winning and murdering a small child. And when that does happen, like with, you know, Joker killing Jason Todd... Um, it's news and it stays news for decades because that is a thing that doesn't normally happen. And so I'm inclined to be more merciful when they don't know what, when a good, when an obviously good writing team doesn't know what to do with a fundamentally silly antagonist. Well, you know, I'd be more forgiving if I didn't have Watchmen in my recent past. And if everyone didn't have Watchmen in their recent past, I mean, save me, daughter. Written on a moon of Jupiter, was it? Like, is yeah, is yeah, the yeah. most silly crap that you could possibly think of? Like launching human beings 
from a catapult through an invisible dome to write save me daughter in a spacesuit is as goofy a thing as you can possibly think of and yet it breaks your heart because the craft and the work was putting in so you, you sit there and you're sure. like I feel terrible for Ozzy Mendias how can I feel terrible for Ozzy Mendias okay okay but but and this proves my point about this stuff being the exception rather than the rule and why I'm more inclined to give these guys a little bit of a pass well sure is is Watchmen as a comic book and then Watchmen the series itself were written deliberately as a send-up of comic books as a form of literature like the whole thing is designed as mockery and in its mockery does the job better than that which it is mocking. That's the point of it. To compare the villains that they get to draw on from in the in the Superman canon of bad guys to Ozymandias is like comparing Stuart or not Stuart Little. Stuart Little's actually genius. It's like comparing those old big red dog primers and getting upset that they're not on a caliber of writing with Hamlet. Until someone writes Superman on a on a caliber with Hamlet. You know, like But Superman but Superman is being written like the 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 beats of this show where they're not dealing with the supervillain plot. The beats of this show where they're dealing with the family dynamic and <clears throat> what drives these characters at core, what drives the relationship between Superman, oh, between Clark and Lois, um, the tethers to Ma Kent, the beat, the heartbeat of this town, the dealing with the real economic plight, like all of that stuff when they're not explicitly playing in the comic book swimming pool is comparable to Watchmen. It was. I mean, it's, it, only, it's, fallen, it's, it's, it's fallen off a lot, but I mean, at the start, it yeah. absolutely was. It only it only veers into the territory of dumb when it is forced, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna call it forced because whether it's by network mandate or not, <coughs> somebody told these people that they had to write a superhero show for the CW. And that means digging into the well of available material for what's out there for Superman's villain pool. And they're all fundamentally silly. It, you know, but see, Morgan, Morgan Edge wasn't silly, though, until the fifth or sixth episode he started getting silly. I mean, he was pretty consistent, right? But but he's but he's not even really Morgan Edge, like well, right. That, that my, yeah, my huge beef with even using Morgan Edge is it was a stupid fake out. Here's here's my here's my problem with that with that um, line of thought. Like they should have just named him Bronald Dump and made him a new villain. Yeah, or you know, you could call Billy Trump, but. You know, yeah. the, uh, the here's and I run into this a lot. It's like you have to forgive it because it's just a comic book. You have to forgive it because it's just TV. You have to forgive it because people are enjoying it. And it also like things like you can't expect it to be the Watchmen, right? You can't expect it to have yeah. higher standards. And I find that to be like uh, to be a false dichotomy. It's not that either I'm expecting too much or I'm expecting too little. It's that my job is to point out where it succeeds and where it fails and my my litmus for whether it's succeeding or whether it's failing 
is based on the highest quality thing that I've seen at the time versus the lowest quality thing I've seen at the time. Um, and I see, I, it's very easy to say, well, you can't expect everything to be Watchmen. And to a degree, yes, right? But also, right. you can you don't have to just accept things being subpar because that's the way things have always been done. You don't have to be like, I just have to put up with Goofy Morgan Edge because comic book characters have always been goofy. And you don't have to go, you know, like, I'm just going to let these things slide and I'm going to go along with it because I want to get to the stuff that I like. Now, if you do, you're not wrong because there's no right or wrong way to experience it. But, right. but my methodology, I would argue, is fairly consistent. It's also based around that aspirational, almost Superman-y belief <laughs> that, that, that I'm not going to say that these writers can't be the best things that they, uh, best things, the best, the best creators that they can be. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to expect, without condemning them personally, I'm going to yeah. expect them to give their all and I'm going to expect to see their all. But here's, it, this is what bothers me. I think is that I think that this this right the reason I am so harsh on it is not because I don't like superhero dramas that are schlocky and don't pay much <laughs> attention because I can dig that I can get behind it it's the inconsistency it's the it's like watching it's like teaching a kid you know you watch the kid and they pull out the crayons and the markers and then they draw like the most perfectly rendered picture with perspective and like dynamic anatomy and shade and then they like they draw they draw a stick figure with a pac-man head and you're like why why did you do that you're capable of so much more and they're like well i ran out of time in class it's like yeah but yeah but better not to draw anything better to just tear it up so so this so this goes back to my earlier argument from a few episodes ago that they should never have done the Morgan Edge storyline. Or they should never have done, or, done the or, Goofy one. They should have kept him or, just no, no, a malicious no, no, villain. But, no, but they could have done a Goofy, you know, Kryptonian zombie story. Sure. But you stretch but you stretch that out, and I'm thinking of the last three seasons of Angel. Did you ever watch Angel? I did not. I watched the last ten minutes before Smallville started, I think it was, usually. Fair. <laughs> Although I'm so, so. Angel did something that was interesting and unique in that it told what was very much a five-season arc. And the, the main antagonists in Angel were introduced in season one and not resolved in any sort of satisfying way, really at all, but not in any way that you could even identify until the end of season five. <laughs> and I think I think that like because technically they won spoilers for a show that ended like fifteen years ago. Um, I think that had they planted the seed of this Kryptonian plotline and let it germinate over a few years, they would have had time to do it properly, and they could have done a compelling 12 or 13 episode season of TV around the family drama with the added tension of John Henry Irons and never need to explain, never need to do the, the, the payoff 
of his assumptions of why Superman would go evil until two or three seasons down the road. Well, this feels in hindsight like what they were trying to do was set cook dinner, set the table, and watch everybody eat it in fifteen minutes. Yes, that's exact. It was very hurried, and you're not going to have to work very hard to persuade a guy who did a five-year, five-volume, long-form story where the bad guys introduced in the first trades are resolved in the final trade. <laughs> you're not going to have yeah. to do heavy work to persuade me that that's the way to do things, because <laughs> that's you know Fair. that's my method. I but, I do believe. But I, th- that, I that, think. Yeah. Yeah, I think there was more than enough story in just the John Henry Irons and the Jordan getting powers stuff that you could have made a compelling half like half length season of TV, and it would have never descended like it would have never lost quality. It would have never dipped, and it would have set up nicely bigger villain arcs without it getting so off the rail silly so fast. Yeah. And to be clear, I'm not making the argument that you shouldn't be so harsh on this because it's not, you can't expect it to be Watchmen. You invoked Watchmen as an example of a superhero <laughs> show that, that doesn't do silly crap with its villains. And I responded by saying, yeah, but that's on purpose. These guys aren't drawing on that pool for their conflict. The whole point of Watchmen was being a send-up of how silly the comic well, book stuff gets. Or more being like, look at this silly stuff. Here's a way we can do it seriously. You know, like, it, this is this is what it's like to be married to God, you know? Yeah. I mean, that is, I mean, you're saying Superman, like, like Superman and Lois could absolutely benefit from that ethic. Um, you know, like, like, and they do, sure. and they do it right. They yeah. do. Um, I just, I, I mourn for what a little bit of care for, for, for the A to B to C could do for this show. Cause I think that it's, it's still possible that they could just start doing that again, but they, they see, I, like I honestly, it's a symptom of what network they're on, though, and I think that's ultimately the problem. Because if you're if you want if you want to understand why a show that has that much obvious talent in the writers' room and that much talent in production and that much talent in casting goes off the rails this hard, it's because it lives on a network that kept Supernatural on TV for fifteen years, right? Yeah, well, it's it's also they they just it's I've heard the expression like the CW churn and burn a lot in comics churn and burn churn and burn yeah. churn and burn and it's probably you know the reason why I I would not I don't know I can't say it depends like the, like the CW doesn't do serious drama for very long without descending into melodrama. Well, yeah, and that's that's the thing that got me with Smallville and that's the thing that's getting me with Superman and Lois is I don't understand cuz they could be AMC in three short turns. You know, they could be yeah. they could and and AMC, you know, or they could be they could like it's not like the money won't follow. People have to see that stories told right with A to B to C and a lot of money pay a lot of money, a lot of time paid to the bread and butter of storytelling are making, you know, Marvel four billion dollars. They have to know that a little extra time like a, you know, like a a penny saved is a pound lost. Or I I don't even know how the expression goes, but but how about this? Here you go. Here's a better expression. No measure twice. 
Cut once. Cut once. Yeah, but, but here's the thing, is <clears throat> the CW has one of the smallest viewing audiences on network TV. Right, and that's my point. Right? This like, is why. This is why. No, no, but, but hear me out. The shows that routinely do well by their standards are shows like The Flash and Arrow in Smallville, where they know who their target audience is. <clears throat> they can do the I'm being faithful to the comics, but don't think too hard about it thing yes. because they know who their target audience is. Sure. And if they take risks, they risk turning off the small audience that they have. The CW is a network that only cares about preserving eyeballs, not getting new ones. I think that is their perspective. I would agree. I think that it is short-sighted to think that... See, I get this a lot. Like, um... There was someone reading my comic like repetitively over the last couple of weeks, and they were like, this is a little hard to follow at times. And I'm like, yes, I am trusting the reader. I'm trusting the reader because I believe that bears fruit. This is my entire philosophy. I believe that if they were to continue in the vein that they started Superman and Lois in, they would not only get the people who will follow along come what may, of which there are many and of which are the bread and butter of CW, but I think that they would start to pull more and more and more people in. You don't, see, you don't lose one by gaining the other. You only gain the other. Um, and that, yeah. that can only lead to more money, but see, that's the thing that I don't know if it's an American thing or if it's a network thing, but this attitude that people do not see opportunity costs and people do not see investing a little now for reward later. It's like a critical human fault that I don't understand. Um, and it's probably because then you end up with situations like me where you invest your entire life into story and abs make absolutely zero profit selling trades. <laughs> you know, like like you do it right and you suffer because you're not churning burning. Um, so I, yeah. I get the other side of the argument. I'm not naive about it. It's just like if that is what you are doing, what is the point of it other than money? And if that's the only point, why like what why even tell a story what's the point what how do you it's it, I, I there's nothing wrong with being someone who just tells a story for making a buck um that's not what i'm saying i'm just like like i, I, I just i can't put myself in that mindset even if you know like i what i need to do is take one of these folks that's like churn and burn and i need to put a little headset on their head and i need to see how they grew up and I need to see how they got where they were, and I need to find out the names of their children and blackmail me them uh, with physical violence to let me into their writing room. <laughs> That's the only solution. I, I was I was asked the other day um, to give a qualitative description of Superman and Lois, not like <laughs> what's it about, but like a right. you know how is it in one line, and I I said it's as if. Uh, the Watchmen TV series decided to enter into a serious relationship with Ow My Balls. <laughs> See, I would describe it as uh, you get a date with uh, Christina Hendricks or Scarlett Johansson just out of the blue and she seems to dig you and she's laughing at all your jokes and you go there and you order the dessert and the dessert is like, um, I don't know, a frog with crap on top and then she, she rips off her mask and it's the old man from Scooby-Doo and um and then and then the you know like Daphne and and Velma come out and they all laugh at you and they're like ah, we got you um and you're like why would you do that and they're like we don't even know but we got you 
Um, <laughs> and then you're, you know, like okay, you're sitting so, there shoveling in bites of frog and poop, and you're like, well, I guess this is what I got left. I promise to go through the whole dinner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we should get to questions and bring Milo. Yeah, in, yeah, we should. Unfortunately, he's at a Ben is out of the lake swimming right now. Okay. Um. So, so I've got a couple of questions. All right, here we go. I do. So, question one. What happens when you heat up a grenade? Well, what happens when you heat up a grenade is it gets um it gets a little bit sweaty. And hmm. because it's sweaty, it um it kind of needs to meet another grenade, right? It's like hot and bothered, right? So um what it does is it explodes it explodes quietly. In the hopes that someone will sweep up the little pieces, put it in another grenade, and then it will have a family. It certainly doesn't explode so, and cause shrapnel that will kill everyone in in a in a roughly fifty meter radius. Um, nor does it turn into inert dust. No, um, no right. That that was that was a weird little bad choice, and I don't understand who made it and how they don't understand physics when they live in a world that depends on them. Um, <laughs> question. Question two. Oh, you forgot also that Superman has a grenade nullifying vision. This is something that we don't talk about, but it was it happened three times in the Silver Age, I'm sure. Right, it's like the cellophane S or the memory erasing kiss. That's right, yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a less it's a lesser known not. That's what I should have gone with on the date. Like like Superman has the Christina Hendrix erasing vision. Oh my god, it's old Ben McWitherby! <laughs> yeah. Um okay. Question two. And this one is serious. I I don't understand the ages of young Clark when he leaves Smallville and goes to the fortress and how old he is when he comes out. And the reason that that's important in this episode is I am failing to understand how a kid who looks like he's maybe a year or two older than Ben when he leaves Smallville had a deep enough relationship with his girlfriend that he expected her, when he came out looking damn near 40, to have waited for him that long and is genuinely surprised that she's out on a date. I I got a funny one for that where it's like he watches the rushes from the filming of this episode and it ages him in a matter of days, but I'm not going to go that route. I'll just go with, you know, I'll do the Smallville explainer thing, which is like uh, what people would always do to me when I was like, there's no explanation for this in the story because there is no explanation. But my presumption, uh, which I shouldn't have to fill in these dots, my presumption is that he leaves home at about 15, 16 and then he travels the world as opposed to the fortress and learns what he needs to learn in order to become the cultural person that Superman becomes, that, that knows all those languages and has all those things, but he's lacking the one right. thing. That's, right, that's, that's the birthright so, right. thing. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking he's probably at that point about 22, 23, and he looks very... But he looks the well, same age. He, he looks youngish, yes, because, I mean, Superman is very boyish. He's always been very boyish, like, even, even in his early 40s in this show he, well, it's true he, he's very you know like oh shucks mr white you know he's he and jimmy get yeah. along in my head canon they get along because they're both just little kids at heart you know they play video games together i i, I that's Fair. that's kind of what i see but okay okay um next question and then we'll tackle the one that you had asked yeah i hope you remember what it was but i have a i think i've got an answer for that all right the next question is 
and I'm going to be disappointed if you think the answer to this is yes, but was that moment where he overhears her Lois's conversation um, about being in love with Clark and not liking Superman that way, was that the impetus for their big fight over him using his hearing power on her or around her? Like, was that, were we supposed to infer that that was the moment? I don't think so. I think that they because that didn't seem all that egregious. Well, no, because I I have a feeling that that it then happened multiple times because you know it seems like that's <laughs> what Clark is always doing. One of the things that they showed in this episode that just made me guffaw is that is that bit I mentioned it in the review. Like he's he's walking down the streets of Smallville and he sees Lana hooking up with Kyle, you know, and it, and it does like the 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 Google Earth for the wedding ring, like the shoom. And you can yeah, you, yeah. You, you can see like Clark, like even though it's Clark Kent going home and getting on 4chan and being like forever alone, and the Price is Right horns just going through his head because you know because he's Superman, you know, like it's not even that the Price is Right horns are imaginary. It's that he's literally Superman, <laughs> so he can listen all the way to the world around the world to Bangkok, India, or it, no, it, it's Bangkok's not in India, is it? No, it's in Thailand. Bandi Bangkok's in Thailand. Oh my god. Well, anyway, in this Bangal in this you, you universe, meant, you meant, Bangkok's in you India. Meant Bangalore. Yeah, you ba meant Bangalore. I didn't mean Bangalore, but no, no, I don't because in this universe, Bangalore is in India. Um, <laughs> oddly enough, and it is the home of Fago. It is where they manufacture all the Fago in this universe. <laughs> but anyway. Also, the the national show is the price. I was gonna go with like like somewhere the Price is Right is always on around the world, right? So so anytime Clark is sad because he's not the Incredible Hulk, he can't Hulk, he can't do the Hulk sad song. So what he does is he just pauses for a brief moment and then does this little thing with the super memory. He recognizes where the Price is Right on is around the world, and he does the Superman version of it's five o'clock somewhere, <laughs> and he and he hears <laughs> boom 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 bow, and if he can't, he just goes around. There you go. Yeah, he just goes around the earth and spins it backwards until it is that time in Bangkok, India. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's not so bad. Though. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna out my wife. I'm gonna, I'm gonna out. Oh my god, I said that out loud. I'm gonna out um, a significant person in my life because <laughs> we. Um, so I, I know someone who thought that Portugal was in Asia. Um, so I'm not the worst. Oh, no. I'm not the worst American. Um, I'm just, oh, no. I'm just the least, uh, best Canadian. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Okay. And actually I do have one more question. That's more of a serious question and then we'll get right, to right, right. Do we think that Superman is capitulating as some part of a submit plot? Oh, of or course. Or do we think that that's a genuine, like, Oh no, he's got me. No. I'm going to give up. I don't know what I'm going to do next. Yeah, people kind of missed this in the review when I pointed it out. Um, I may have phrased it poorly, but it's absolutely like, brother! Like, and it's really going to be like his half-brother twice removed kind of thing. It is just the, the cliffhanger pump fake, and it is actually a bad cliffhanger. It is the serial-style cliffhanger, the one that they have no intention of resolving, yeah. and it's clear from the start. 
Um, but that's what I was trying to write was like, we're supposed to believe this is actually supposed to fool us and make us believe that Superman is now suddenly submitting because he gets hit, hit with one blast of like red, uh, red, whatever it is. Someone pointed out actually, and, and this was, you know, the Smallville explanations thing that I mentioned, like people will explain things that are going on. Someone had a really good one that I thought that if they had gone with it would have been more creative, which was to suggest that it was Red K. And if they did that, then it would make sense. Like, if yeah. they bombarded yeah. him with Red K and made him just completely not himself, they could just totally run with that plot. But no, of course not. But I can't even see... So, like, I'm thinking back to Smallville Red K Clark. And I can't even see that version of Clark being like, yes, it is now time to incinerate and or enslave all of humanity, because that would have been too much effort for him, man. <laughs> He's like, can I get on my motorcycle to get there? Okay, all right. Um, like, like to me, Red K Superman is artificial kryptonite Superman 3 Superman, where he just wants to get drunk and stare at boobs. So, well, the the I, they were all stuck where they were in the 80s in my head, and I know they've changed a lot. But, um, like, because uh, of the Silver Age stuff that I read. But Blue K, didn't that make Superman into Bizarro's initially, and then it changed? Yes. And then Red yes. K um, was always, it would have a kind of weird, unpredictable effect. And it was always goofy. Like Superman would have a lion head, or Superman would develop four arms and 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 become yeah. Goro or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I wish they would do that. Like, if you did that seriously, like, can you imagine that? Like, Superman develops another head that's just kind of dumb as a post, or develops another head that's Morgan Edge because that's his subconscious and that's the anxiety right now. Or hello, or hello. Or or transforms into Goku. Yeah, sure, anything, you know, like or heck, you know, like he could, you could, but that's that's one of the reasons why you know it could be like um, he he suddenly travels to the world where uh, where Morgan Edge is right. Um, yeah, I don't know. The other, yeah, maybe it's right. Okay, okay. What was your question? Oh, mine was just like why why bother if if um you know like what I think that's what it was. Why bother if you know you have all this ability. Um, and you, you, you can draw with shading and perspective and anatomy. Why do Pac-Man on, on a stick figure, um, instead of just tearing it up? Why? And, and, and I know that they're probably contractually obligated. Um, I get yeah. that, but like, why would you not going in be like, I would love to make this, but I do not like, so I do handyman stuff on the side. I'm the real estate novelist <clears throat> because you know you can't just you can't just write and be paid for it unless you have a name. Um, and one of the things that I always do is I turn down jobs where people want me to rush. And the reason is it's more trouble than it's worth, and you have to stand by what you're doing. If you're if you look at a thing and you're like, that's beyond my pay grade, or I can't do that, you are better served, and the client is better served by you not doing it. And even if I really wanted to work on a mansion, I would turn the job down if I didn't know what I was doing. And that's an issue of integrity, right? Um, right. And I'm not saying that these writers lack integrity. They may have bitten off more than they can chew. They may have tried to do something and there was outside interference. I don't know. I'm not commenting on that and I'm not judging the folks. What I don't understand is why if you have this, this series with all this potential and the clear ability to do something like they did early on, why they don't make every, every effort to continue to do that, why they suddenly just light a match and throw it down there and be like, well, you know what? We'll still have the, the diehards. Because they had to 
they had to deliver a CW superhero show. And 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 bottom line, that's what it I is. I think I would say is. I agree if you say they felt they had to because I don't think they had to. I think they chose to because they felt to have No, I think to. they were I think I think they felt I think they were made to feel that they had to. Sure. I think based on the first four episodes the show that they wanted to make and the show that the network wanted them to make are two very different TV shows. Yeah, I think, you know, and maybe that's it. Maybe I should err on the side of trusting the writers and believing in the writers and say something along the lines of this must be executive interference or this must be trying to turn the plot wheel in favor of getting more stuff churned out there that is that is driven from above. It would be nice... You know, like, like that's one of the things that I love about Canada. We've spoken about this before. It's like they can actually, like, there are these ways you can kind of call in and speak to the premier. They actually speak to the plebs and talk to us about our problems here. Um, it would be nice if there was less of a uh, thin blue line writer's style um, regarding how people make things, unless you're Vince Gilligan on a talk show that is very, very exclusively monitored that happens an hour after the show and is approved before it goes on the air. Like, if, if, if writers were more open to talk about their process and how things happen and why things happen, and, and, and the, it wasn't then you will become a tr troublemaker and you'll be stigmatized and you'll lose this job that 400 people are clamoring for, we might understand a little bit more. Like, if one of these writers were to say, come out and say, yeah, you know what, we really had these ambitions and we couldn't live, uh, we couldn't do it because, you know, the, the studio stepped in and said, we need it faster. We need, you know, these things have to go. Or if they said, look, I, 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 I'm, I'm perfectly fine with this being hammy, but we're left to speculate because that's where the money is. You know, if, if you create a fandom right. where people will speculate for you, your product is selling itself and you don't have to pay for advertising. And we're, we're in a sense, well, making this happen. And, and. And and J.J. Abrams is the cause of that because the mystery box. Lost invented, yeah, the yes. Lost invented the modern online discussion around this stuff. Yeah. Okay, bring in Milo. I'm gonna true. I'm gonna give him right. the grills. Milo, it's time to bring it close to this thing. Your dad's getting morose. <laughs> He's wondering. like almost Kevin Smith levels of morose. Ah, uh, it's not so bad. I don't actually care that much. But it's an intellectual exercise. All right, here is yeah. the child, everybody. Hi. Oh, you gotta put this thing on now. Now, be sure to speak into the microphone this time. Okay. My man Milo. Hi. How's it going? Happy Canada Day. Happy Canada Day to you, Julian Finn. Thanks, buddy. So, this episode, what did you think? I thought it was pretty cool, though oh, Superman got turned in the episode. Oh, you liked that part? Yeah, but it was also cool. kind of uh, scary. And in fact, what I would do was, was I would, it would be a hard choice, but I would probably make the family die because then that means everybody else in the world survives and but it also if he likes Superman he likes Superman and Superman likes Lois yes yeah it those those questions get more complicated when you have family that depend on you and 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 they just become more challenging to deal with 
Um, so do you think he actually turned in that last scene, or do you think that they put one of the other Kryptonian consciousnesses in him? I think they put one of the uh, uh, Kryptonian consciousnesses in him. Me too. It looked very much like they were using that same egg. They were using the Eradicator. What did you think of the uh, the first part of the episode where they were showing like how he met Lois and how he started as Superman and how he was trained in the fortress? Did that remind you of anything? Did you like it? Did you hate it? I liked it. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Has your dad ever gotten you to watch the early Superman movies? No. Oh, you should ask him to do that because they borrowed really heavily from the very first Superman oh, movie. Seen that movie is just the part where Superman gets, like, born. Okay, so you haven't seen where he goes and gets trained in the fortress like Superman did in this episode. Yeah. Alright, so, do you think next week that the John that Lois was talking to was John Henry Irons, right, who we thought of as Captain Luthor, or do you think that it's John Diggle, who was a character on the all of the other uh, Arrowverse shows? I think it was John Henry Irons, because they've been talking yeah. about John Henry Irons a lot. They have, they have. It would be John. weird for Lois to call him, but yeah, no, I, I think it could be right. Maybe they'll both show up. Do you have any theories for me this week? Yeah, I think Superman... They will, like, like, find, like, a way to cure him, or maybe they might actually literally just see Superman, and then, and they'll, like, have, like, because I've seen in the show where love was a lot of power, so maybe it might be, like, in that show where the power is love. Oh, maybe. Maybe they'll bring Supergirl in, and she'll do a solar flare on the egg. Yeah. Yeah? Was there anything you didn't like? No. No? You just dug the whole thing? Yep. Is is it as good for you now as it was at the beginning? Is it better or is it worse? It's kind of like the same as it was at the start. So like there's stuff that you love and then there's big long stretches of boring stuff? Yep. Yeah, that's fair. I would have felt the same way at your age. All right, well, I hope you get to see some fireworks out your window tonight because there will be people who definitely shoot oh, them yeah, even though they yeah. probably shouldn't. Yeah, yeah. probably um, shoot a billion fireworks. Probably. And I hope next Canada Day, if COVID is all settled and done, I'll get to come out to Ontario and we'll all hang out on Canada Day together and go and watch fireworks from a big field somewhere. Yep. All right. Okay, have a good night, buddy. Pass me back to your dad. Daddy time. All right, you didn't tell him about the big blue vein that pops out in the middle of my forehead whenever I watch the show, did you? <laughs> I'm kidding. Get out of here. Get out of here. Scram. <laughs> I have a thought uh, before we go. Yes. Uh, we yes. have some weeks before the uh, before the next episode. And I'm, the 13th, yeah. Yeah, and I'm going to watch the, uh, the next episode in our... Um, in our Legends of Tomorrow queue. Um, but I was also thinking that I don't know if uh, Ben has seen Superman 3. Has Ben seen Superman 3? 
he was really young, but I should get him to watch Superman 3. I was 3. thinking for next week, we should watch Superman 3 and make the boys watch that goofy-ass movie. And then uh, and then maybe talk about how it holds up. <coughs> so, I've watched <coughs> Superman 3 <coughs> recently, and by recently I mean in the last couple of years. <laughs> and I'm going to say so- I'm going to say something controversial here. It's it's not as good as Superman 2, but it holds up better than Superman 1 for me. Well, my take, it's been many years for me actually. Probably since uh just after, well, I must have watched it in the early 2010s. But I, I still stand by the fact that, that that opening scene is one of the best scenes in any Superman anything. Um, but I haven't watched it in a long time. I know there's some weirdness with the blonde at some point that I've kind of blocked from my memory. Uh, but it might be good to unblock it yeah. and talk about it. I know that um, Gus Gorman <laughs> and Richard Pyre in his prime is something that is probably going to have some issues but i also know that there are atari sounds in there and uh a crazy standoff with a a, a windows 98 computer and i think that uh, not 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 to not to mention netto tool as lana lang well i wasn't and... gonna mention it because I, I i'm now afraid that she'll rip off her face and it'll be old man mcmultrie um but <laughs> anyway and and i'm pretty sure I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure, and we know they've watched Superman 3 in their calculations for this show. Well, yes. Because the very first episode, we got that nuclear reactor scene well, that goes out to the lake. And, and Kyle chewing but, gum as the proto-Brad. Yes! Kyle is Brad. Yeah, and that's the that's thing. That's what I was going to say. That's why I was thinking about it, because not only will it have the goofy elements that the kids will respond to and have things to say about, but also we get to, we get to dig in on Brad and Superman's high school reunion and... Uh, the way that it's the platters instead of I don't know, um, turned down for what? Um, yeah, <laughs> God, we are old. Anyway, we're not that old, but we're old. Um, All right, no, that's a good project. So next week we will be back here on Friday. Well, we'll be recording before Friday. But we'll be back on Friday with a review of Superman three. Yes, the quest for more Atari. All right, until then, I am yes. uh, Neil Bailey, and you are. Julian Finn, and we are destined to come back and be negative once again next week because we've never read comic books. That's right. Have a fantastic weekend, everyone. You forgot that we were unfunny. Goodbye! Goodbye! Well, hey there, all you super cat coes and kittens. I'm not going to ask you to like or subscribe or add us on Facebook or Twitter because, frankly, I just don't care. Julian might, but you'd have to ask him. I am, however, an independent writer of novels, comics, and reviews. I don't get paid for that, and I've been doing it steadily for 21 years. If you like what I do, and if you can, your support would mean a world of difference in my life. I have a website where you can find my books, neilbailey.com with an A in the Neil, N-E-A-L, not an I, and I have a Patreon where you can get exclusive early access to everything I do along with free copies of all my books and comics along with every new book and comic I make as they come out for the price of a coffee. Get yourself on over to www.patreon.com slash neilbailey and tell them Neil sent you. Thanks for listening.